On this week's Inside Marketing, we'll be talking about how technology can bring new audiences into established publisher news brands and how publishers need to think about how they extend their content beyond text alone. I'll be joined by Gareth Hickey, co-founder and CEO of NOAA News Over Audio, which is a really interesting Irish business that's revolutionising traditional media. That's all ahead of us this week on Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. So, um, yeah, thanks. Thanks a million. Thanks, Gareth, for joining me today. Before we get started, how is business for you at the moment? How's things? Are you busy? How's life? Are you, uh, and how's it been in the last kind of two years? Is th- I guess it's been pretty good, has it? Yeah, I mean, overall, the market for audio, of which we are obviously a, a player in that, has been pretty, pretty high growth over the last couple of years. Um, I mean, couple of big news events have also kind of contributed to 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 our growth as well so between u.s election of course covid yeah, yeah. pandemic um and then of course more recently russia ukraine so there's a demand for quality journalism we definitely feed into that we also feed into the demand for audio people do want to listen and invest mm. in themselves as well and that's that's uh, that's exciting for us so good glad to hear right we're, we're going to kick off so i i obviously know Noah. i know what it is um and I knew about it before I was kind of chatting to you on the podcast. So, but for anybody not familiar with it, can you just explain what NOAA is, what the business is about, um, just give people an overview because not everybody might be familiar with it. Sure. So NOAA, it's actually an acronym for News Over Audio. Um, that's actually a website, newsoveraudio.com. And in a nutshell, what we do is we take some of the very best articles that are published in the likes of the Irish Times or the Financial Times or New York Times and we narrate them. We have a team of human voice actors spread across US, UK, and also Ireland as well, male and female. And they'll um, they'll narrate the articles unabridged, which means word for word. And then we'll distribute that across our mobile apps, smart speaker skills, in-car apps, and website as well. So you got people on the books who are ba- basically it's like Audible. Then in a way, pretty much it's the same type yeah. of model as Audible. Only it's only it's um, it's not done with books. It's done with premium publishers. Um, uh, uh, yeah, well, publishers and news organisations ultimately. So, like, how how big? Just so I can get my head around it, how many publishers are you working with? How many how many kind of um, partners have you got on the platform? How big is the scale? What type of content? What type of kind of, what's the amount of content that you have on the site? How big is it? And how many are, I'm sorry, within, within each, so, and so for example, you mentioned New York Times. Within the New York Times, how many articles would you be um, kind of recording for that? It's not the whole paper or anything, is it? No, it's not. No, no. I kind of, I kind of touch on that in a second in terms of why we don't do the the full paper, the full edition. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of the number of publishers we work with, it, there's 17 in total um, at the moment, and we actually are planning to double that lineup in 2022, so before the end of the year. And those who we currently work with, it, it is the who's who of the of the of the publishing space. Um, so again, New York Times, Washington Post, FT, Economist. We work with the Irish Times here in Ireland. They're our only Irish partner. And, um, and quite a few others, Harvard Business Review would be sort of a, let's say, a non-news um, publication, really strong in management and leadership. So we have a couple more magazine-style publishers in there as well. But really the, the high-end premium content that you yourself as a consumer would 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 love to consume if you had more time during the week. And that really is the, the yeah, I guess, the use case or the problem case that we're really trying to solve for people is, is give them back time. In terms of, in terms of kind of, I guess, total funnel, just to give people a sense. So... Top of funnel in terms of monthly active listeners, we're reaching about 100,000 people. That's across all of our digital properties. Um, we also have an embed player that sits on some publisher websites as well. And then in terms of article volume, so 
in total now we've just over 20,000 narrated articles spanning okay. a range of topics you know from business finance investing to current affairs um, geopolitics and, and national politics as well and and then of course more lighter topics as well like evergreen content sport and then of course management leadership so quite a range of content and that kind of touches on the style of audience we're looking to capture it's not just a, a niche audience albeit the audience that tends to do well is those who are really interested in mm. business finance investing you mentioned there because i get the app thing you mentioned you've got an embedded player um with certain publications what's that what's that mean yeah, so basically the the partnership model that we have with publishers and and the reason we've been able to 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 join forces with with such a you know big big name publishers is because we kind of we solve sort of two problems and also provide them with a revenue stream. So on the one side, the publishing in publishing industry when we first entered this space, which would have been back in 2017, kind of on a beta scale, we would have had early conversations in 2016, um, and then we sort of ramped things up in 2018 or late 2018. But when we first reached out to publishers, they were all very keen on audio and um, podcasts, of course, was one of those areas um, that they were beginning to lean into more and more. Some were leading the space, some were laggards. Now, I think everybody has a podcast in some shape or form. Um, but audio articles was something that they were it was definitely on the tip of their tongue in terms of they they wanted to figure out what it would what the economics would be um, and would people actually demand it. And at that stage, again, this is going back to kind of 2016, 17. The Economist had already begun narrating their full print right. newspaper, as they call it. And they'd actually been doing that since mid-2007. And it was based on, again, a user problem, which was, I don't have time to read The Economist. And mm -hmm. therefore, they, they narrated it and allowed people to listen to it. And one of the big profile listeners publicly is Angela Merkel. Um, but basically, they knew there was a, there was a, there was a uh, market here or there was a, a kind of an area of, to investigate or to, to kind of test in. And when we came to them, we said, look, we can we can produce this content at scale across multiple publishers and provide it back to you to host on your own digital properties, right. websites, apps, smart speaker skills, and so forth. And at the same time, we'll also distribute the content across NOAA and provide you with a revenue stream based on our subscription revenue. So that's that's kind of two, two quid pro quos. And we're able to do that in a very resource-like way for the publishers. So what the what the embed player essentially does is it allows the publisher basically an iframe and um, that can sit on the publisher's websites and mm -hmm. um, usually below the first paragraph of an article and make it very easy for them to integrate and kind of enter the audio space right. audio journalism space i should say um and then we also provide more integrated solutions like apis and things like that for mobile apps right um now you said at the start, like in a world where everything is automated, I feel this should be automated. The kind of reading out of text because it's something that that would, like from a from a scale point of view, it would allow you to scale up really quickly because there'd be ultimately no limit to the number of articles that you'd have to read. Um, you know, you can actually scale it up really quickly, even in terms of different languages and that kind of stuff. Like the automation of this of of turning text into audio, I guess. Now, the you know, automated tech machine voices are, aren't great. So is the reason why you've done this in terms of having real human beings um, on the books to record these things, is that to give it a better user experiences, a user experience? And do you think you'd ever see a time where you'd, you'd automate it or you just think, no, it's just not like, why isn't it automated? It just seems, I don't, I don't know enough about it maybe, but it, it could be autom automated. Why not? It's a, it's a fair question. And some publishers do automate it or kind of lean more into that space um, or at least experiment in it and kind of see what the consumer demand is like. And it, it sort of goes 
back to the question you asked a moment ago about, you know, do we narrate the full um, print issue or the full, you know, the full suite of articles that a publisher produces? So let's say, for example, on average, if one of our partner publishers produces about 100 articles per day, which wouldn't be uncommon. Mm. Um, and if we were to narrate every single piece, yes, the, the economies of scale or the, the economics of it, it wouldn't make sense for us to do that human narrated. But if you start at the consumer and you ask, okay, what is the what is the job that we're trying to solve for the consumer? Um, oftentimes, it's the ability to in, kind of deeply engage with with the content and really kind of get a get get the grips with content that they just otherwise wouldn't have time to really sit down and consume. And most of the pieces that are produced on a daily basis are not going to be of that form. They're going to be more newsy style pieces. They're going to be pieces that you can consume actually probably a lot quicker by reading yourself. Right. Um, and where where human narrated content comes into play and really kind of stands stands much taller versus say text to speech or automated voices is on that kind of deep engagement side of things. So just to give two examples, if there was a two or three minute kind of newsy style piece um, that was released and you had a human narrate those, again, the economics are questionable. It's a lot of, lot of, lot of um, volume. Um, so text-to-speech is going to perform better mm. there, economics point of view. But if you had a, a longer piece, let's say it's a, a 2,000 word or 3,000 word article, which is going to be somewhere between 15 and maybe 20 minutes in, right. in kind of consumption length, you really want to index for engagement and keeping the person listening. And that's really where the, the human narrator comes into it because we, we've, we've seen statistics on it in terms of our average article progress versus those of automated voice and our, our average article progress on the NOAA app is about 78%. So in other right. words, when people press play, they tend to stick around and listen for quite a while. Um, whereas for text-to-speech, it can be anywhere, it can be as low as kind of 10 to 15%. So people press play, listen for a paragraph or two and then drop off. So it's really, if, if you're indexing for deep engagement, human rated is really the right. only way to, to go as, as things currently stand. As as that technology improves and if it does kind of go beyond a certain plateau um, and it has definitely kind of come along quite a bit over the last uh, half a decade or so, then yeah, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't rule mm. it out. Um, but as things currently stand, it's the Rolls Royce experience is, is human narrated. Yeah, the other I, thing I then, guess you're right in the sense, sorry, I guess you're right in the sense that yeah, like if you're going to listen for any length of time, the kind of the, the auto the, the auto text voice just becomes a little bit irritating after a while. I think it just kind of grates on you a little bit, and you can you can't get any kind of sense of emotion behind it because just the, the way it's done is it, it is by definition robotic and kind of a certain type of cadence to it. So I, I, I yeah I see why maybe it'll get better in time, um, but at the moment yeah, it makes sense. Sorry, what were we gonna say? Yeah, and I certainly expect expect that it will get better, and at that point we look at it more, but but. In terms of, I guess, the other thing, again, starting from the consumer and working back, um, again, what is their job to be done? And when you begin to serve consumers audio content that doesn't work well in audio, which newsy pieces tend not to, um, they they can negatively mark the experience quite quite bad. So the typical journey or user user journey for for a listener is they'll maybe line up a bit of content that are going to listen to. They're certainly planted around a use case and mm -hmm. it'll be a busy use case that they're not actively looking at their phone and they can't easily navigate in between articles. So they want to have the best listening experience during that use case, be it, you know, cooking dinner, walking to work, you know, going, going exercising or whatever it may be. And if you play back articles or content that just really doesn't work that well in audio, again, it's, it's not as simple as 
if you were to click onto an article from from Google or on a on a publisher website and you don't really like it's easy to click off and then find another one or, or maybe just just to stop browsing altogether. Whereas when you're deep in a use case and something comes on, it just doesn't work in audio. Mm. The consumer does negatively mark you and you they they don't tend to retain. So it's actually when it comes to narration, and this is really across the board, not just not just audio articles, when it comes to narration, curation is also key. So right. there's like two links in the chain. One is curation, one is narration. The two of them linked together is what makes a great user experience. One without the other can can be very poor. Mm, yeah, that 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 makes sense. Um, you you mentioned a couple of titles earlier on, and uh, are you are you mainly in? Where, where's your where's your big market, or, or where like you started in Ireland in Ireland, I presume, or maybe you didn't. Um, so what 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 are your markets? What markets are you in? What are your grow? Where do you look to to grow? Obviously, um, is it English speaking predominantly, or only at the moment? And, and that's where you're concentrating, I guess, between Ireland, um, even the UK and, and the states. Even I guess you you've enough there to keep it going for a long time with premium publishers. But are you are outside Ireland, are you? With some of the titles you mentioned. Yeah, correct. Yeah, like when we launched, um, originally the publisher lineup we had was the Financial Times, Bloomberg, the UK Independent, and and the Irish Times. Um, our our focus has predominantly being US and right. actually that's where the majority of those 17 publishers really do reside uh, followed by UK um, and then and then you know kind of rest of world Ireland's probably kind of mid single digit uh, percentage in terms of total audience but the, the US would be the dominant market for us and that's definitely where we see a lot of the growth coming from in the in the near future too so about 40% of our listeners are US based about right. 30% UK um, and um, and then yeah parts of parts of Middle East and even um east asia are also pockets of growth as well we think over time but in terms of language english is the only language that we mm. offer at the moment there's definitely demand to to expand that across continental europe south america um and become multilingual but um but for now we're very much english. just focused on on english but like in terms of just just touching on kind of market so geography is all obviously kind of one area or one way to think about it but in terms of how we see ourselves fit within the journalism market we sort of we see the existing market for journalism consumers as being um, as being kind of range bound or kind of population bound. And what I mean by that is there's a there's a huge population of consumers who are curious. They want to know more. Probably tend to be of that kind of millennial and younger demographic. Um, you know, they're they're watching documentary TV series on the likes of Netflix or you know movies that are um non-fiction based and they they do want to learn they do understand more they're looking at youtube videos and explainer content across social media they're not really being served to the extent that they should be served across the, the publishing space and what we want to do is we want to help them this 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 consumer group typically again a younger consumer group step onto the journalism ladder and make mm. them realize the value of listening to or consuming a Fintan O'Toole piece or a piece from Dave McWilliams or, or, or Derek Scally or whoever it may be from the Irish Times or Paul Krogan from the New York Times and really open their eyes to the value of premium journalism. Mm. And that's that's really our goal. So while narration and audio is front and center in, in our value proposition, how we curate the content and serve it to that audience is, is also super important. And we for example, we create playlists of content on specific topics. So let's say Russia, Ukraine, or more specifically, let's just take a, a segment of that to say the SWIFT payment system. Um, we would have articles from the likes of maybe the Financial Times, Bloomberg, The Economist, and maybe New York Times. People would then come in, they'd press play on that playlist. Mm -hmm. We would give them a short explainer, maybe one minute to, to, to two minutes long, that just sort of sets a bit of context. Um, very, very light, very easy. 
and then they'll listen back to those articles one after the other in in a, in a way that offers them typically offers them multiple perspectives so they might hear one perspective from the ft another from the new york times mm. another from the economist and it helps them understand the topic and that's really our goal is to help people understand the news and really enter the the premium journalism market and then and then kind of upsell to the, to the likes of an irish times or new york times subscription yeah because i mean i might get in trouble for saying this with 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 rob and the irish times but i mean i said to him before i think that the the publishers i mean they're mad they're desperate in terms of they think i mean i've said it a million times before the job of the journalist isn't to, to just kind of knock out a two and a half thousand word piece and then say right now that's it i've done i've crafted that and that's it it got to be whether we like it or not it's got to be thought about and repurposed for different platforms. So I think this is brilliant in the sense that, I mean, the journalists don't have to do it, but I always think the news organisations are just missing a trick. It should be trimmed down, whether whether you like it or not, to 400 words, you know, just for the headline people and whether it's audio or, or um, text-based, it should be repurposed. It could be video, it should be repurposed for audio. And that's when the job is done. I think taking a story and saying, no, no, it's, it's, a, it's a two and a half thousand word piece and that's it. That's all I'm going to do. It's just, it's madness. So it's great. I think it's a, re, it's a, I think it's a great, um, a great idea. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll come back. You mentioned a couple of things there about um, playlists and user experience because I'm interested in, in kind of figuring out how, how your model works. But before I forget, I just want to ask another thing that I'm interested in, which is about the financial model on it. So um, obviously, without getting into details, the financial model at the moment, if I have it right, is a subscription base. So the user pays subscription um, as opposed to say, there's no ad funded model. Because I guess, I mean, where you have an engaged audience, uh, highly engaged audience, you have an interested um, advertising market. So it would be, I would imagine this would be, because why I love digital audio, like this this is an audience where I say, would be really powerful in terms of to buying into. But I guess that the, the kind of decision you have to make is, do you, Subscriptions is better. I mean, subscriptions is a better model than relying on ad funding because you need you need hundreds and millions of scale of impressions and, and listens to be to be kind of making money off ad funding. And you're you're better off. The subscription model is more reliable. It's less kind of volatile in terms of of your pricing. But there are there are hybrid models. You can say, well, you know, the subscription or for other people, there's you know, there's a light model where you get served ads. Is it purely subs based? Are you thinking of advertising? Do you think you would do advertising in time, or what's your view? So it is predominantly, let's just say, 95% of revenues um, are subscription-based. Advertisement is something that we've definitely investigated. There's, there's, there's definitely pockets of demand for it. And we've had a couple of advertisers on the platform um, looking to kind of reach, a, again, a high-value premium audience in a, in, a, in a very engaged way. So we've worked with Frank Keen, for example. We work with Zurich here in Ireland. And we, like, but, but, but at the end of the day, it's not something we've leaned into massively, certainly not just yet, but it is on the cards. We do have a metered access paywall um so you do get a couple of articles right. for free initially and then of course we want anybody to anybody you can, as you anybody want. can get a couple of articles free just to, to test it can they correct right okay. yeah exactly yeah because look i mean it, it is sort of a new content format we want people to to try it you know i think that's the that's the key thing is to get people to try it and um that's what gets people through our funnel so that's the model that we have we definitely would need more scale to really make it worthwhile for for brands and agencies to yeah. to put you know decent budgets into it and again those who have put budget into it is a case of, you know, it's it's part of a wider budget and it's just again experimental to see. But one thing that I would also say when it comes to when it comes to audio advertising is I think A, I think it's a great format because you really, especially streamed audio versus say linear audio or radio or something like that, you, you do reach a very engaged audience that you know they're 
typically deeply engage either in music or a podcast or you know maybe an audiobook or narrated article so it takes a lot of boxes from from that perspective you do get your ad and your brand in front of those tools where it falls short and what needs to be solved at the moment really is is on that sort of the conversion journey so i think audio ads across streaming platforms work extremely well from a mm. brand building perspective the thing is when it comes to brand building you need big audience um, and yeah. And of course, you need to be able to slice and dice and so forth. And we can do that. But again, the audience needs to be a bit bigger than 100,000 to, to, to really do it on a global scale. Um, and then, but yeah, the, the thing I don't think that really anyone has fully solved just yet is what does the conversion style ad campaigns look like? Because it's very, it's very hard to associate, okay, look, I've spent X across Spotify. What does that mean for my bottom line in terms of, mm. in terms of ROI? Um, if, if they can solve the conversion side of things, I think that's where the money really comes from. And that's obviously where your Google, your Facebook really perform quite well. They can do the branded stuff, but they also do conversions really, really well. And it's super trackable, mm -hmm. very hard to track audio. Yeah, true. Um, I guess, well, if you start getting into inserting ads into it, you mean, well, if you offer the light version, you may cannibalize some of your paying subscribers already. And if you start putting a few ads in when people are paying, you just make a bad user experience. So you're probably... Yeah, um, but yeah, it's definitely it's definitely something to go. How much is it, by the way, at the moment? What's the subscription pricing tier at the moment for it in terms of just to get my head around about the, the price? What and what do I get for that? Is unlimited articles or is there any kind of limit to it? It is unlimited, so it's um, I think it's fairly reasonably priced. So seven ninety nine per month, and that's consistent across sterling, euro, dollar. Okay. Um, we do have some 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 lower kind of regional pricing in in non English speaking markets, um, available in the app stores. But yeah, so just just under your kind of Spotify, right. um, um, and and Netflix kind of pricing, and you do get unlimited access as well. So it overall again after you pay your fees to to Apple and so forth and 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 the digital tax and the whole thing, and you're you're talking about a about a sixty euro ARPU business. Um, so that's average revenue per user and on an annual basis we would talk talk about 60 euro which also then you know if you want to think about business model a bit more you know obviously listener acquisition is something that's super important for our subscriber acquisition so we need to make sure that we're able to acquire people at a clip that's lower than that like you yeah, know so yeah. we ever get payback within a reasonable period and like for for comparison spotify's payback period on under ad spend when it comes to attracting consumers or subscribers is is about one year about 12 months so okay. that's when they'll start to see payback there their arpu is about the same as ours maybe even a little bit lower maybe more like 50 euro of course over over a bigger scale mm -hmm. and um then the next thing that really comes into the model that's super important is is retention you know you need to be able to retain those subscribers and again just just by way of example spotify's retention when they you know, back in kind of 2016, 2017, around that time would have been around 30% annually. So about 70% of people would cancel Spotify within the first year. And it's right. about 50% now based on public data. Um, whereas our, our retention has always been very healthy. It's 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 up on 60%. So right. in other words, 40% okay. will drop off um, uh, within a year. But the other key thing when it comes to subscription models and something we're beginning to realize more and more, I would say Spotify is more of a leader in this space, is one of your most high potential consumer bases are actually those who would have already subscribed and cancelled so when somebody cancels it's not a it's not a it's not a customer relationship that ends there and then and um, typically actually people use that 
subscription cancellation just to control their spend and they'll come back, okay. you know, as and when. Yeah, uh, yeah, makes sense. I, I was reading something the other day about um, just the cost of inflation and everything. We all know, like, the cost of everything is going up. And, and one thing that maybe hit is subscriptions for content. I, I, I think in your case, you probably have, I mean, I guess given the titles you have and the, and the areas of interest that you serve, there's probably quite, they're quite, probably quite an affluent audience. I mean, if you're Disney Plus or you're Netflix, you're catering to everybody and, and maybe the, the, the audience of the subscriber base is more reflective of the population, so lower social demographics. So people with less disposable income are going to be hit hard and they're probably going to cancel. But I get, I would, I'd imagine in your case, given the, the titles that, and the, the markets that you serve, you're probably protected enough in the sense that um, people are paying for premium, willing to pay for this premium content. So well, just think about that for a minute. How do you decide who you're going to work with? Do you go out and are you actively going out and contacting publishers and saying, hey, we want to work with you or are people contacting you? And, and how do you decide who will come in? Or would you take anybody, um, any any media owner or public publisher who said, yeah, we want to get involved? Or do you have, is, is there conflict? So if the independent wanted to get on board, would, would your deal with the Irish Times mean they couldn't come on board or are you open to business with anybody yeah no we're open open to business with with with, with, with a lot and um, like really and uh, i know there's no there's no conflicts uh, across the board like again we work with new york times and the washington post like you know mm. they're, they're quite competitive um but the for us it really does start with the consumer i guess you know it's it's okay does our audience want to deeply engage and listen to to content from this publication right you know as they as they go about their day as they go about their busy lives and is this content really going to help them improve their knowledge you know so like our our core thing as i mentioned before is helping people understand the news we also do lighter content evergreen content general interest content as well but that's a you know maybe that's 30 percent of our total output whereas the you know 60 70 percent is is the more kind of fourth estate style content it's the mm. kind of content that you you're going to learn quite a bit from narrated articles they are by their nature quite information dense versus say a podcast so yeah. in the space of those playlists that i was mentioning um the, the the style in which we curate our content in that playlist format an average playlist might be three or four articles which is probably 25 maybe 30 minutes in terms of listen time um so you're getting through quite a bit of information quite a few articles in a short space of time you need to be fairly actively listening as opposed to passively listening um so you know we're, we're going to ask okay is this publisher the kind of publisher that create you know creates this style of content that's going to mm. be valuable in audio for our audience and if yes then we want to work with them and if no mm. then then probably not um but yeah we're we're, we're definitely open to to work with open i would say a, 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 yeah yeah um because i guess now like any all the brands that you uh, that you've talked about, the publishers you're working with, and and they're all kind of premium published published content. I, I, and is it mostly news? I, I call them newspapers. You know what I mean? But I guess there's a big like I think about what people are paid to pay for. Magazines are huge. Like in terms of particularly specialist niche magazines, there's huge small circulation, right? But in any case, relative to the to the market they're in highly engaged audience so are you doing any work with magazines because I, I guess this would be quite an interesting proposition for a magazine if I was I don't know, Runner's World or something like that or or Wired and go you know what because you mentioned your playlist if they were on board it could be a way of sampling out some of their content getting it in front of people that aren't currently buying it and it could actually inadvertently help drive kind of grow their user base but do you do much with magazines because I would have thought they'd be quite an interesting space yeah, so 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 actually, 
interesting that you mentioned it because uh, as I was saying, we're, we're going to be doubling our publisher base. So we plan to double our publisher base over over this year. Um, that will that will include quite a few magazine publications. There's a few, you know, kind of more traditional, say, news or daily style publications that we will be bringing on board to some big names across the UK um, and also the US. But magazines will definitely make up a, a good portion of it too. And um, yeah, certainly, certainly within some within some niches. And actually, the the reason for it and the way the way we kind of thought this through again, thinking of the consumer first and working back was when we look at our content consumption habits. So let's say we cover a big topic like Russia, Ukraine, back towards the end of February, and we were actually covering this for, you know, many years before, um, before it kind of really broke into war. But we um, we see a spike in that style of content, obviously, during that, during that week or during that period, but not a huge spike. So what happens is when something big happens, it probably represents 10 to 15% of our total listen time during that period, right. um, which is to say that... N- Kind of somewhere between eighty-five and ninety percent of our total listen time is is tail content. It's it's it's, it's either archive stuff, older yeah. stuff, or it's um it's it's again based on people's interests. So you know, for, for if we have something on on athletics, on running, you know, one person might listen to that while another person listens to something about Formula One and so on mm. and so forth. And the tail, so the tail, it is a tail business at least right. for us. And I don't think that's the case for you know more typical uh, news publishers. Yeah, they yeah. would have a line share their traffic coming to what's published today yesterday this week whereas we have a we have the lion's share of our traffic coming to older content and, and and also more niche content so the short answer is yes we will definitely be expanding our publisher or our publisher lineup which will include magazines and, and it will include some some more niche style magazines mm-hmm. and we we want to test it and see what happens and yeah just to pick just to kind of follow up on that point I, I get I get like finance right I get um, and even the financial times there's publications where I value their opinion and I'm going to pay for that even the economist um, they tend the ones I go to more easy in my head are those um, kind of business verticals um, is there much of a of a market in terms of kind of lifestyle content for this are people are people or is it like people genuine people are generally coming in because of an interest in finance but they we can you can sprinkle in some lifestyle stuff to them but it's not going to, I'm not going to come in if I'm just kind of casually interested in, in kind of sport necessarily, am I? Do you find it's predominantly business that's driving it? Or how big are the other areas? Lifestyle, sport, anything, entertainment. Is, is that going to be much of a driver for people? For for us, as in for Noah, at this point in time, the that kind of non-fiction, style con- or I mean, it's all kind of non-fiction, let's just say, but, but, but um, that kind of finance, um, economics, politics, mm. that style of content is is the lion's share of of our listenership and of the demand. Um, again, we do have content across all all our categories and verticals. Um, and that that content does does perform well. Right. Like when when you look at it from a just just take the audiobook industry, the the lion's share of content consumption in the audiobook industry is fiction right. fiction content. Um, so it's not the hard hitting nonfiction stuff. Um, but you know, our, you know, an audiobook use case is, is one whereby, you know, you can kind of, you, you have to listen over multiple use cases. Mm. So over multiple weeks, usually, um, if it's a long, it's a long book and you're, it's more of a lean back experience. So it's a different experience, I guess. It's not as information dense, um, depending on the book, of course, but right. typically, you know, you, you want to turn on an audiobook and kind of unwind, not, yeah, not yeah. Like switch your, switch your brain on too much. Um, whereas for us, People come to know because they're they're short on time and they want right. to squeeze in content. Whereas when you're when you're busy on the move, 
you probably aren't looking for that lean back experience as much mm. as you would be if you were in an audiobook kind of use case. So, um, mm. look, it, it does it does perform well for us, and I think it's important. I think the key thing and the thing that people do demand and do desire is is variety. So yeah. we do want a, a bit of a mix of that lighter content. Um, we would also have to ask as well if we were to, if let's say if we were to kind of flip the scales and um, produce way more of that lighter content um we would need to ask you know is, is this something people want to pay something for want to um pay for, yeah and i don't have the answer to that yeah um i guess you're right but i mean if i'm if i come in for finance or economics or whatever i come in for i might listen to some of the other stuff anyway it's just it may not drive me to come in so let me help help me understand this then as well so imagine i, I pay i pay for an irish times subscription so i'm getting my irish times content am i Am I going to be paying for this as well? Am I going, or, or from Financial Times, are going to say, well, I'm not going to pay for that as well because I'm kind of paying twice for the Irish Times now. So you, in terms of your user base, because I don't know the answer to this, but I think it could be really, I mean, people who subscribe to the Irish Times or buy the paper every day, is this adding, um, bringing in new listeners to the Irish Times, people who don't subscribe already? Is that what this does? In which case it's quite powerful. So it's, it's additive to the, the reach that the traditional publications and publishers have already. Um, what's the user base? What's your profile? What's your demo of user like? Do you have a core bullseye? And is it different to those who are paying for premium subscription content with The Economist, The Irish Times, The Wall Street Journal, New York Times? Is it quite, does it look different? Yeah, it, it definitely is. So, so, um, our, our typical demographic is 70% of our audience is under the age of 45, which is usually the inverse for mm. the publishers that we work with. Um, and in terms, and, and actually the, the average age of our audience is 28, you know, so, so, and, and again, you know, we, we, we get a portion of this, our audience, of course, to, to pay and, and deeply engage with this content. Mm. We're, we're absolutely introducing people to, um, the likes of the Irish times, the likes of the Economist and the FT and, and New York times who wouldn't otherwise be, they'd have brand awareness, but they wouldn't otherwise be kind of deep. Um, yeah, they're not, they're not, probably content. not paying subscribers. You're and not cannibalizing. Certainly, certainly not subscribers. And that's the other thing. So people, um, people come to us either, sometimes they might kind of give feedback to say, look, you know, I just find the, the, the publication subscription price is, is too expensive and I just can't yeah. afford it. Or, you know, we are relatively uh, cheaper, um, especially the likes of The Economist or the FT, like the FT subscription, digital subscription can be up on 50 quid a month. Um, so we also, we also target an audience who are, you know, they're, they're intellectually curious and they want to know more. And we, we kind of see ourselves as the first rung of that ladder. Right. And really the great thing about knowledge content is once you kind of whet your appetite for a particular topic or, or, or a category of topics, um, and you start to kind of understand more about finance or business or investing or so forth, you want to keep going down that rabbit hole. You want to keep learning. You don't want to let that up. Um, because it's it's very personal. It's very important to people. Mm. Like once they they define themselves as, hey, now I actually understand these topics. I don't want to I don't want to let that go. Um, they can climb the ladder. And so we definitely do introduce new consumers to to content of of our partnering publishers. Mm. Our scale relative to our partnering publishers, though, is such that it's not going to be extremely noticeable just yet. But obviously, as we grow, that becomes more meaningful. Yeah, and I, I I love the idea of it as well because you know most publications have. A, a political leaning or bias or kind of one way or another. I mean, not all of them, but some of them do. Um, and even an individual journalist, they, they as much as they can be balanced, they'll probably have their own leaning on things. But but what, what you talked about there, um, you know, to be able to 
cure, put together a playlist. If you're interested in a topic, that you're getting that sense of balance. You're hearing, you're 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 reading. You're sorry, you're hearing perspectives um, that you probably wouldn't have heard. Uh, it is it is definitely like it's it's if the world would be a far better place if people took the time to educate themselves and and to. Um, I, I sound like I'm I'm kind of banging the drum that that the people in my industry always do like if we read more if we cared more about journalism if we were prepared to to think and and to pay and support journalism because it's not free um but actually there's a duty of care to to you know with the service that that proper journalism provides is it it it, it acts as a watchdog it, it kind of keeps people it keeps business honest it keeps people honest it holds people accountable it keeps our politicians honest and accountable and lifts the lid on things. And they, like, if you just got to look back at some, any of the stories that have been broken, I think with slimmed down newsrooms, how are we going to, I mean, if we're, if we're all getting our news on Facebook, gee, like it's a depressing place and we don't know where it's coming from. So I think it's brilliant. And I love that idea because I never thought about it like that, about being, going deep on a subject and having the balance. So you'll hear two or three, four, five different respected publishers opinion about that and even individuals and you can kind of make your own mind up it's a little bit like the economist probably just make your own mind up here's the information go make your own mind up so i i, I love that um how does it actually work right i sign on i i, I join i pay my 7.99 i register do i then create a profile do i do i do that all up front do i tell you what i'm interested in and if i do that then does the Obviously, then you know what I'm interested in. You serve me that content, but then how how does serendipity work? How do you kind of go? Well, you haven't told us you like this, but we think you might be interested. Do you have a recommendation engine? Is there a, is there an algorithm working in the background that says, well, you know what, you've told us you like X Y Z, but based on other people who kind of match your profile in terms of interest and the way you think about the world, they also like this stuff. So why don't you try this, even though you haven't told us you like it? Do you have that that kind of technology and algorithm built in recommendation engine, if you will? To, to some extent, yes, and I'll, I'll touch on that now. But actually, just to quickly unpack some of the points that you made just, just before getting on to the, to the kind of profile setup side of things, um, I, thought, I thought it was quite interesting because many people, some people anyways, do misinterpret the opinion of a publication. Like, I, I think all of the publications we work with, um, they, from a reporting point of view, again, this is reporting the news, they're, they're unbiased and, and they're, you know, they, they do a fantastic job and I hold journalists in extremely high regard in society far above, you know, like, you know, up there with teachers and workers, uh, construction yeah. workers and so on and so forth. Um, but, but, uh, and far below, like my, my, my background is in finance investing, you know, equity, uh, I was an equity analyst and yeah, we were, that's nearly great, as bad as work. That's nearly as bad as working in marketing that's, for God's sake. It, it almost as bad. Almost, almost as yeah, bad. Down, we're down the spectrum, but, 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 um, but in terms of, in terms of reporting, I think, publications by and large do a do a do a standout job there do a very good job there um and of course they're covering stories that are unfolding as they happen mm. so yeah there are mistakes that are made but they will always kind of you know at the end of the day kind of bring themselves up to scratch and make sure that what you understand is is as close to the truth as possible um but then there's the the opinion side of things yeah. and sometimes people look at a publication and they say oh because the opinion of the editorial board or some of the writers or columnists in that publication lean one way or the other yeah. Therefore, that publication is biased. True, you know the opinions biased, but yeah, yeah, which is the case with opinions. Um, that's like that's not groundbreaking. Um, but the reporting may not be biased. So people people have a bit of a misconception sometimes when it comes yeah, to that's when fair. It comes to bias in reporting versus opinion pieces. Um, the style of content that we tend to narrate is more the opinion pieces, the feature right. pieces, the stuff that probably does have more opinion in it. Um, 
and therefore being able to kind of mix the opinion of different publications yeah, against yeah. each other is, is what gives you that multiple perspectives in the in the playlist format. Um, but yeah, that was just a touch on that. And uh, actually, one other point that uh, I thought kind of came to mind when you were saying, you know, maybe we should consume more journalism and, and hold people to account more. I definitely agree with that. And I think it was back in the in the 1800s at some point, um, a French philosopher whose name escapes me at the moment, he he famously said, people or citizens get the politicians they deserve, right, yeah, which is yeah. another way of saying that, you know, if you kind of, if you kind of close your eyes and don't pay attention to what's happening, mm. um, you know, at the political level or at the business level, yeah, there, there, there will be corruption, there will be, there will be problems. Like, you know, so in other words, it is on the, the, the citizen, the consumer to kind of step up, stay engaged and, and therefore you will, you will get a better quality of politician and business leader is, is really what he was mm. trying to say. Totally but yeah, jump, jumping jumping forward then to the to the account setup side of things we yeah so like if you take on one extreme you take kind of a tiktok style content platform mm -hmm. where they are extremely good at understanding you and serving you with content that you're interested in i mean i i think they can they can profile a consumer within within probably 30 or 60 seconds mm -hmm. and it's extremely quick like they'll understand you better than you understand yourself and, and they'll do that through not only kind of recording and tracking what you engage with. So what you dwell on basically as you go through the videos, yeah. what you spend time on, but also what you don't spend time on. So if you quickly scroll past somebody dancing, they're like, no, you're not interested in dancing. Yeah. Remove that as a content category. But then you stop on somebody talking, they're like, oh, they like talking videos. So show them more of that. And yeah, yeah. they'll, they really, they can profile you super quick. And that's, that's quite important for any content business, YouTube, as anyone that consumes YouTube, you'll probably notice that the, the search function is probably used a little bit less than it would have been back five, six, seven years ago, because they just understand what you're interested in the server to your homepage now. So they, they, they can profile you quite well as well. Um, for us, we obviously have anonymous people coming to us. They create an account. We have their name and email address at that point. We know nothing about them. We do ask them to choose a couple of categories and subcategories to get a sense of what you're interested in. Mm. And then we use that data. Um, we use that data then to understand or to basically um, match some of our content within our archive um, on the homepage to serve to them. So there is that level, but we also do have the editorial level whereby our editorial team would say, you know what, this is just an important story and right. this is going to go to the homepage. So we still maintain that, okay. like, you know, quite editorially minded from that perspective and um, quite traditional, I guess. But yeah, we have a layer of personalization too. And then of course, as you listen, we can understand more of the, the tags. And the yeah, yeah. And the content that you're interested in. So we can serve it to you better through email mm. notification or in-app. Yeah. So, so, so there's, yeah. So I, I, I am getting, cause some, you know, getting to try new things is quite, it's quite, I mean, yeah. And anywhere I'm looking at Burdensome. content. There, yeah. And yeah, I was saying, where do you start? Like, I, I hate looking at Netflix and going, oh God, I don't know what to rooting around for something. And then I know when somebody tells me like even their, their algorithm, I kind of look up what's trending, what are other people watching? Cause it's quite powerful. Cause I just don't have time to be digging around and going, I hate looking something. And then I'm, I'm real sticky. If I try something, it takes me a while to admit I hate it. So I, um, cause I know I'm going to give it longer time. And then I, I hate giving up on something, but it's quite <laughs> interesting that you could, you know, You've got an active audience and you, you can serve them up stuff that you know they like, but also, you know, stuff that, well, you're that type of person, you might be interested in this type of thing and, and you're, you're, there are certain stories and things that you just serve to everybody is quite smart. Um, and when you create this audio content, then it's available on the app. So I get it on the app. Do you do anything else with it? Are you, are you working with publishers to help create uh, audio content? And then, you know, can, can I listen via my uh, Alexa at home? How else are you distributing content or is it purely just on the app at the moment? Is that all you do? 
it's um no we're we are available across across mobile ios and and android um but also alexa um our, our website and then also in car so we have android auto and carplay for those who have that enabled in their in their cars okay. um and we work with a handful of publishers as well to distribute some of the articles across the likes of spotify and other podcast hosting platforms in that instance, it could be a case that maybe the journalist or somebody within the publication kind of tops and tails the article, maybe talks about why they wrote it, mm-hmm. and then it goes into the article itself. And then, nice. so, and, and that's kind of a way to, I guess, kind of fish with a fish are in terms of there's an active audio audience on the likes of a Spotify, and they're distributing a handful of their, mm-hmm. you know, selection of their audio articles on this platform where they otherwise may not be able to reach them or they'd need to, of course, produce a podcast to do so. Um, and that, that helps them kind of widen their funnel and build brand awareness there. So that works quite well. The New York Times kind of leads the way in that, I would say. So everyone, I think, probably listening to this podcast is going to understand or be familiar with The Daily from the New yeah, York Times. Yeah. Well, on a Sunday, they'll take the the long read from the New York Times, have that narrated, and then that goes out as a podcast on a, on right. a Sunday, but it's just in place of The Daily. Um, and the New York Times, just, just for reference, to give people a sense of the audio journalism market, they, they acquired a competitor to ourselves called Autumn, back in uh, Feb 2020, coming into right. lockdown actually just before. But um, yeah, so again, it just it just shows, you know, there's more more publishers that are really leaning into this space as well. Yeah. Yeah, it makes total sense. It's, it's always, it's uh, the simplest ideas are always the best. And this is like, it is, it's a relatively simple idea. I know it's, I'm, I'm not doing any disservice. It's, it's, it's quite sophisticated in terms of, and polished in terms of its um, its UX and the product you deliver, but it's a simple idea at, at its core, which are which yeah. are always the best ones. So, on that, how did you get into this? When did you set this up? How did you? What made you? What were you doing? Well, you just mentioned you were you were in um, financial markets before. So, what happened? When you did you just say was this based on I want this thing? I I do I'd love if someone did this. Nobody does it. I'm going to set this company up. Is this what happened? Um, how did you get into this space? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's, there's, it's not like one, one sole reason, but there was a couple of things that kind of came together at the right time to, to, to kind of catalyze and say this is, this is, this is what I'm going to do. So, um, one of them was as a, as an equity analyst, a big part of the role is consuming a lot of information, yeah. um, including, uh, mainly journalism. Actually, I'm from typically financial publications, and and staying informed, making opinions on the on the market, and feeding that into traders and so forth. So. As part of that, you're constantly you're trying to be a sponge for information, and it's hard to find the time to. You can't read everything, you know. So you end up bookmarking a huge amount of content and mm. with intention to come back to it. And that bookmark list just grows and grows and grows. Um. So you look for other ways to consume that content, and audio narration was was one such way. And mm. became familiar with the Economist and and the fact that they narrated their content, began listening to it, and really loved it. And then as a consumer, you know, began to ask, oh, I actually began to assume. This is in 2014 slash 15, began to assume that other publishers would would offer similar yeah, and this would all be happening. This would be happening. This such yeah. a, such an obvious gap in the market that's gonna be catered exactly, for. Yeah. yeah, I just need to find the app that offers it or the website yeah. that offers it. Long story short, there was there was no no one really out there, a handful kind of playing around with blog content and other other bits and pieces, but in short, there was nothing. Um yeah, and so then we started to have conversations with publisher, or I started to kind of well actually originally have conversations with my colleagues in 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 the place that I was and they um they began to enjoy the Economist audio and that was kind of my initial user testing I guess and and and, and it really kind of stem partly stem from there I also I also had you know not a huge amount but a but a few few euro invested in the market at the time this would have been just after the the you know we all talk 
it was going to be a Grexit, Greek, Greece leaving yeah, yeah. the Eurozone 2015 and so forth and markets are turbulent and you know as as markets tend to be um but I had a few pound put away and it was performing quite well so I had the capital to do it as well which which, which has also he- he- helped and yeah. I was kind of early 20s and yeah so it was a couple of things that sort of lined up to say actually yeah this is worth worth pursuing yeah very good very good well I mean yeah it's great I wish you every success because I think it's a great it's a great innovation it's also I think it's good for journalism. I think people should care about, but it's hard. I guess some people are busy and I think that the danger is that we say everybody should read the Irish Times or whatever the case may be and, and people don't and then we, it's not, it, is it right or it's wrong that they don't? I don't know, but it's wrong that they that they, they don't know where their, their journalism is coming from, particularly in the world of fake news. So we owe it to ourselves and to, to you know, to be citizens, to, to be trying to at least kind of have Pay integrity in where, in where our, our news sources are. You don't have to agree with everything, but at least, you know, have source your journalism from reputable places. So um, so I think it's great and I think it's brilliant as well because it will open up um, new audiences to journalism. It might bring people into it. So I wish you every success and to anyone listen, you know, you get, how many articles do you say you get free as a trial if you want to test it? So yeah, we give um, five five articles right. per week. Okay, so yeah, anyone get on, listen, have a listen to it, see what you think. Um, and yeah, and, and Gareth, look, I wish you every success. So thanks a million for taking the time. There's a bit of banging going on in the background here. I think we've got a a spring party on tonight. So there's some. I hope it's not picked up. There's a lot of. I, it's going crazy in my ear. So I'm hoping it's not going to chairs banging and stuff going on. So hopefully it'll be edited out. But Gareth, thank you so much for taking the time to join me, and best of luck with everything. Appreciate it, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Thanks. And that is it. We are out of time. That's all she wrote, folks. So um, yet again, we've run out of time. I just want to say, first of all, thanks uh, to Garrett for joining me today, for taking the time to chat to me. It's a really interesting business model, so wish you all the best with that. Um, As always, thank you to our partners in the Irish Times Media Solutions. And thanks as ever to Andrea on Sound and Kira in Marketing. If you like this episode, why not listen back to some of our evergreen, amazing back catalogue of episodes. You will find them by simply typing Irish Times Inside Marketing into your search engine of choice. So until next time, stay safe. Next week's episode is a pretty big guest. I'm not going to say too much more about it, but you don't want to miss the next one. He's probably one of the the biggest names in the industry. Um, So until next definitely tune in and until next time stay safe bye the inside marketing podcast brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions